keys of the kingdom and that's what we're going to talk about is the keys to the kingdom first you got to find the right door and the door of course is christ and of course finding the right christ because there are a lot of christ's out there a lot of things posing as christ a lot of images painted of christ and we don't understand them correctly in most cases that's why there are forty thousand denominations of christianity not even accounting all the different opinions within those denominations. So what is the kingdom of God? What composes the kingdom of God? How does it operate? What form does it take? Is it where we go when we die, or are we to be in the kingdom? Jesus said he wasn't going to eat again with the apostles uh, until he did so in the kingdom, and then after his resurrection, he's showing up several times eating and drinking so therefore i would assume that he's in the kingdom because the kingdom is not a place not a location it's not a boundaried off country where everybody in that country must belong to that government or bow down to that government that's that's babylon and all countries are bound together and all the people are bound together in those countries and that actually fulfills another misquoted quote in the Bible that talks about uh, waves roaring and a uh, distress of nations, which actually is a compaction of nations, which is what's happening is that all the nations of the world are compacted together, contracted together to form the new world order under men. Well, men are your kings. Men rule over you. Men exercise force and control you. Tell you what is good and what is evil, what you must do and what you cannot do. Make laws for you. It's almost hysterical the number of people say, oh, we're not under the old law anymore. The old Mosaic law. We're not under that anymore. Not even knowing what that means. Well, there are 700 of those, and there's 700,000 of the laws they are now under. So they are under the old laws, just multiplied 10 times worse, 100 times, 1,000 times worse than it was before. Except under Moses, those laws were not like the laws that you have today. Under the Pharisees they would be, but the Pharisees did not know Moses. Because if the Pharisees knew Moses, they would have known Christ. So the message of Christ and the message of Moses were really one and the same because God is one and the same. So what does that look like? And I promise to talk about strange wives today. We already talked in blog talk just before the show. It's kind of a warm-up. We mentioned John 6.15 where it talks about the people trying to force Jesus to become the king. These are zealot types 
and probably a lot of different people wanting to see him become the king. Because they always think, oh, if we get the right king, then everything will be okay. If we get the right president, if we get the right prime minister, everything will be okay because these guys will make things right for us. And they give them the power to make things right, but when they give them the power, the Saul syndrome kicks in and they become corrupted. Only Christ did not become corrupted because Christ would not allow them to force him to become king over anybody. Christ only becomes your king by submitting to Christ. But then you got to know what Christ is really talking about and who he really is. We're talking about having uh, Colin Gunn on the show in a week or two from indoctrination. And uh, we'll talk about a lot of things when he comes on as a gift. But this misunderstanding of who Christ is has led us into states and actions and statuses that are contrary to the preachings of Christ. We also talked about Matthew 11, 11 to verse 13 where it talks about the kingdom of heaven. And we've talked about how the kingdom of heaven really means the kingdom of the world because the word Oranos means the sky above and everything within it, which means us, the planet. But it talks about it suffereth violence. In other words, people try to establish the new world order by violence, by forcing their neighbors into a system, oppressing the stranger in their midst, the people who didn't want to be a part of their system, making them be a part of it anyway. Christ wouldn't do that. Everybody has done that, but John the Baptist wouldn't do that. If John the Baptist had no coat and he needed one, he did not try to force his neighbor to give him one of his. He waited upon the Lord, working upon your heart, and maybe you would give him a coat. Would you wait? If you needed something, if you needed a benefit, if you needed assistance, would you wait till somebody chose to assist you or would you hire men to force them to assist you? Well, you have. You force them to provide for your education of your children. You force them to provide for a fire department. You force them to provide for police protection. And you think that's okay because that's government. Well, that's one form of government. But Christ preached another form one that made the word of God to effect. What your ministers have been allowing you to believe in today is not what Christ was preaching. They allow you to believe that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of government because they tell you that governments are of God. Governments are allowed by God. But God allows sin. And he guarantees the repercussion of that sin. And that's what you're going to experience. The governments that men institute are there for a purpose. To punish the wicked. And the wicked are those who institute them. Cain instituted the first city-state. Nimrod. All the people who go along with that idea that it's okay to force your neighbor to be a part of what you want to be a part of 
is contrary to the ways of Christ. And it's allowed to be preached in all these churches, and they say, oh, well, but we believe in Christ. Now we talked about Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is good that, it is not good that man should be alone. He should have a companion, a partner, another part of him. He needs this other element. And he made woman. I will make him help me. He made woman to help man become what man needs to be. And in the character of that woman, he built a temptation to man. That man might overcome that temptation. Just as he put the tree of knowledge and the tree of life in the garden. The tree of knowledge is value. A man can use the tree of knowledge, but never as a source. Cannot eat from it. But it has a purpose, but not a source. But God put both of them there, knowing that man would be tempted, and that he should overcome that. So anyway, we going to talk about strange wives a little bit here and if we're reading Ezra 10:14, let now our rulers of all the congregation stand and let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times and with them the elders of every city and the judges thereof until the fierce wrath of our God for his this matter be turned from us. Now that's Ezra ten fourteen. He's talking about the elders, the rulers of their congregation, and there's several words that are translated into rulers in the Hebrew text. Reshem and Reshreshem is the way they spell it. And the, there's this distinction of that. And if we look in at 10.14, we said, let now our rulers, that's the noun, Reshem. It's not Resh Reshem. Uh, the same word, Reshem, is also translated navel, umbilical cord. Elaf Reshem is translated loose, dissolve, dwell, uh, several other ways. Mostly loose it's, it's translated. It's kind of defined of uh, of all the congregation uh, of, uh, well, let, let's give you, the, the word, el, the letter Elif has to do with man. It's actually composed of two other letters one repeated twice, which is Yad, and Avav. Vav is a divisionary word, divides, but also it connects, because it expresses the idea that something was connected. And the Yad and the Yad on either side of the, the Vav represents God and man. 
their reverse order in the drawing of the letter. So this idea when Resh, which has to do with rulership, is in the hands of man, then he is loose from the gods of this world and the rulers of this world. When you see Resh, Resh, Shem, you see this double rulership, which is what I'm really getting at here is this idea of rulers. There are rulers who are really just leaders. They can't exercise authority, but they're out front, they're, they're guiding, they're showing a way, but they don't have this exercising authority. They cannot compel your obedience. And eventually we're going to get around to seeing how different words are translated into obey in the New Testament. And it can lead to misleading thinking. If you go back to Ezra 10.10, we read, And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourself from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Now we can imagine what they're talking about there is that they have married these other women. And they may have certainly done some of that, but there's more to it than that. Most of the time when they talk about women in the Bible, especially when they talk about adultery, they're talking about national adultery. Again, the institution of God, of holy matrimony, or the union of man and woman, or the great domestic relation, husband and wife, however you want to call it, is a contractual binding of two people into one. No more twain, but one flesh. This is God's corporation. Two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority, that is God, for the purposes of procreation and for the purposes of testing the mettle of a man and, of course, also of a woman. You see, all women by their nature will tempt the men. By their nature, they will tempt the men to do wrong. But the good woman, when the man rises to the occasion, is not overcome by that temptation, is happy. The evil woman is disappointed in the man when he overcomes that temptation and is righteous in spite of her weakness, in in spite of the fact that he could oppress her. He does not. Just as Christ could oppress the people, but would not. Christ could have used those men who wanted to forcefully make him king to compel all the people to bow down and accept him as king. But Christ would not. All other rulers would. Saul would. Nimrod would. Pharaoh did. Caesars do. But Christ would not. Christ wants you to choose. To choose to obey. To be led by wisdom. 
by righteousness, by God himself, speaking in your heart and in your mind. So the strange wives were covenant that you were making, agreements you were making in the days of Noah, giving and taking in marriage. Marriage is an agreement. It is a covenant. But the marriage they're talking about is not necessarily the fact that your wife was from Belarus or from some foreign nation. It's that you are making agreements. You are becoming married to the state. And we give them the example in Holy Matrimony versus Marriage that the marriage uh, marriage is the act of giving of a ward into the state of being married. But the state, when he does that, is not a frank marriage. It's a three-party contract between you, your spouse, and the state. You're not just married to your spouse. You're married to the state. This is strange wives. This is these covenants. It's not no more twain. It's no more threesome. <laughs> it's it's not you, your spouse, and God. It's you, your spouse, and somebody else. We call it the state, but the state is simply composed of other men, and those men will decide what is good and what is evil for you. Bad enough that you decided to decide for yourself what is good and evil, but now you've given the power to somebody else to decide for you what is good and evil. And they say, oh, you have to send your children to school. You know, in some countries, homeschooling is a crime. People have had to flee their country in order to teach their kids. This is the direction that the United States is going and many of the other countries that allow homeschooling now. This is where people want to take it. And the majority will be against you. But only 300 were needed in the deserts where the kingdom of God, God gathers. You don't need the majority. You need God. In order to get God, you must make, become compatible with that Holy Spirit so that he may fill you with the virtue that healed the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Are you touching the hem of Jesus' garment or have you been following a false Jesus? a manufactured Jesus, a twisted view of Jesus. If we go read in Ezra 7.24, we read, Also, we certify you that touching any of the priests and Levites, singers, porters, methodists, or ministers of the house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toll, tribute, or custom upon them. They're talking about this house of God as if this is where you go to church. This was the government of Israel. This was health, education, and welfare. This is where you went to get a coat if you had no coat. Because what they were given was given to them freely, free will offerings. Their welfare system was free will offering. You know, a lot of kitchens, uh, food kitchens and everything are helping the poor. What we should do is start a food kitchen and, and uh, emergency help system to help those who choose not 
to pray at the altars of benefactors who exercise authority. Not just somebody, it's not enough just to help somebody in need because you may be weakening the poor. You want to strengthen the poor, help the poor stand on their own. Well, in order for you to teach them how to stand on their own, you need to learn how to stand on your own. You need to form congregations but and congregations of record that will actually care about each other, know each other. You know, I, I sent out an email this uh, week to give a general description of what it means to form a congregation of record. And I actually have it here way down at the bottom of my notes. I said, if three people meet on a corner, talk and agree on points that they discuss and then go their separate ways, you have a free assembly for one moment. You congregated in a moment of time and agreed upon something in a moment of time. But there is no record. In your mind, you know. But that's not a congregation of record. That is just somebody congregated. And you have that right to freely assemble. Now, let me ask you another question. If you tell your girlfriend you love her and will always love her, and she says the same to you, where is the record? Are you married? Are you husband and wife? No. And therefore, take that analogy. We won't take it too far because of the fact that a congregation is not, you don't marry a congregation. You don't become a part of a congregation in the sense that you become a part of husband and wife. The institution of God is husband and wife, and you must have free assembly that does not degrade that relationship of husband and wife, which we call family, capital F, family. That's a unit. That's one person. No more twain, but one. But a congregation is not one. A congregation is a free assembly that does not bind the people together. Now, in the case of the girlfriend and the boyfriend, you give a token ring. You give it to her, something of value you give to her, usually a gold ring, something of value. And say you will be her husband. And she says she will be your wife. It's not just love. It's you're actually taking on a responsibility. And you do this before witnesses. You always have to do it before witnesses. There's no such thing as a secret marriage. And we talk about this in, in holy matrimony versus marriage and in the international acceptance of holy matrimony, uh, that this union of the matrix of the woman with the man. I mean, this is what is taking place. She is departing from her family and becoming part of his family. That's why we call it matrimony because the matron is bound and becomes one with her husband. But when you do that, you have a record. You have borne witness, and you establish this with two or more witnesses. Because this is what we're told from the beginning, to establish all things with two or more witnesses. So what about that congregation? 
the congregation is not becoming a corporate entity, but remaining a free assembly, it comes together. And how does it work? How does that establish anything in the law of nations? And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. And we're going to bring this all together eventually, if we have enough time in a two-hour show, which would be miraculous, as to what these strange wives are and how you put them away. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com The Greatest Prophecy DVD Did you ever wonder about the virgin birth? Know somehow that it must be true, but never really understood what it was all about? Perhaps you have faith in Messiah, but cannot quite believe in a virgin birth. Why is it an integral part of faith in Messiah? And why would biblical faith in Messiah be worthless without it? These questions and many more can be discovered by seeing The Greatest Prophecy DVD. The first chapter, for which the DVD was named, is a precise explanation of these mysteries. After seeing chapter 1, you will no longer have any doubt as to why belief in the virgin birth is indispensable to faith in Messiah and why it is indeed the greatest prophecy of the entire Bible. We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It?, and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue, in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274 or see the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD Now listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them, if not you? 
Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about the strange wives. And the strange wives weren't just women. They were literally people marrying in agreement, not as husband and wife, but simply in agreement. This is what this was the one major contractual relationship allowed by God is this covenant between man and woman because it's not right that man be alone. It is an institution of God. It is the institution of God. Now, he did make another institution, which we call today the church. Uh, In the Old Testament, we see the Levites were this institution. They were called out. They were separate. They could not be taxed, as we read there in the the one quote from Ezra. Uh, We see the same thing in Egypt, that all the people went under the authority where they had to pay a 20% tax to the government except for the priests who did not make this contract because they lived on a stipend. Uh, they were they had received, had something else they were receiving, literally a, almost, a, I guess, a tithing from the kings uh, so that they remained free. And, of course, if we start to understand this and start dealing with Daniel, we start to see the position that Daniel was in and what he was actually contending with. Uh, the government of Daniel wanted him to become a 501c3 corporate entity, and he wouldn't do it, so they threw him into a lion's den. And but today, churches do it all the time, and yet they preach Daniel, and they preach the prophets, but they're not doing what the prophets say. But that's, of course, exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were not doing what Moses said. They didn't even know Moses. They'd gone completely contrary. They'd created a system of social welfare where you signed up and you had to pay in, or you could be penalized by statute. And those payments were to take care of the widows and orphans and media of their society, and that's, of course, impure religion. It makes the Word of God to none effect. Pure religion is to do that by free will offerings alone. In order to do that as successfully, you need to come together and form some type of or form of government. And, of course, that's what we talk about all the time, is that there is this form of government that presses and forces and compels everybody to be a part of it and to contribute to it according to what they believe is good and evil. And the other form of government is one based on free will offerings and voluntary coming together. Two or more people coming together in the character of Christ, not going to force each other, but choosing to wait upon the Lord, moving in the hearts of their neighbor to provide the necessary benefits of their government. So, in ancient Israel, families gathered together in ten congregations. Uh, ten family congregations. But they gathered together in a way in which 
no family was diminished in its right to choose. No family was had its authority and power diminished. But they ended up with strange wives and strange agreements. They began to create alternate systems and burn incense to it. That's that's a metaphor. This burning of incense is this contributing. You know, burnt offerings. Whenever you look at burnt offerings, you know, the words there, and we discussed this in, in the artifice of language, you know, in sophistry of sacrifice. These offerings, these burnt offerings, that's your sacrifice. That's your contribution. And, and according to the prophets, it was to be a free will contribution. But according to Caesar, you have to pay. According to Herod, you had to pay. According to Nimrod, you had to pay. But you didn't have to until you became a member. But then they made it so that you couldn't hardly survive without becoming a member. You had to, and how do you prove you're a member? By a number. This the the word we talked about earlier in blog talk, Biaza, that has to do with this force, and it has several different forms, and one of them is Biesta. It's this the desire to force this beastly nature in us that are willing to devour our neighbors, being devour widows' houses, so that we can have the benefits that we want. And we do that regularly in the world today. Inheritance tax. How many women have had to sell their homes to pay their inheritance tax? Recently, what was it? His name Reed, the congressman or senator? Harry Reed? I think it was him who was talking. Somebody showed me a video on their phone of him talking. He was being interviewed and he was referring to our voluntary tax system. And the interviewer said, well, it's not really voluntary. If you don't pay it, they they arrest you and put you in jail. He says, no, no, it's voluntary. He says, well, how is that voluntary? That, you know, you have to pay it or they'll, they'll arrest you. He says, well, they may not arrest you. They may just fine you. Well, it's still forcing, you know, they're fining you. If you don't pay the fine, you may being contempt of court and you go to jail. So, I mean, it's still, it's not voluntary. And he keeps asking him, and he says, well, how do you call it voluntary? And he says, well, no, it's a voluntary system because you can you can do things to avoid the taxes and evade, but avoid the taxes. Well, you know, I kept, when I was listening to it, I was just astounded because the guy didn't want to go there, that it's not voluntary, that it is compelled offerings. But I wanted to say, you keep using that word, voluntary. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> many people realize <laughs> what I'm talking about and why I use that particular quote. But uh, uh, the, uh, the, the point is, is that in God's system, it is voluntary. 
And you're not in God's system unless you're voluntarily contributing to the sustaining your government. I don't know how many people I think uh, I've run across that think that they're in the kingdom because they've separated from the world. And they think, oh, we don't need ministers anymore. But Christ is appointing ministers. You think all those people who came out of the Corbin system were cast out of the Corbin system of Herod that, that Herod had created, Herod the Great had created, was run by the Pharisees. All the people were cast out of that system on Pentecost because they received the baptism of Jesus Christ, which was the second exodus. How did they take care of the widows and orphans? We see right away the church meeting that says we, we, the widows and orphans are being neglected. The needy of our society are being neglected. And they said, okay, well, look out amongst yourselves and pick men you trust and we'll appoint them over this business. Because it's not right that we wait on tables. And the word tables there is the word also translated by bank in the same Bible. It's still the word for bank today in Greece. Trapezia. And why did they need a bank? And why seven men? They tell you in the Old Testament. And we tell you. But I'm the only preacher I know who will tell you. <laughs> I hope there's somebody else out there who's figured it out. But it tells you right in the Bible. Pick seven men. Even eight, it says. Because you know not what catastrophe may come. What are they doing? They are creating a social welfare system based on what? Force? No. Free will offerings. If you haven't done that yet, you're not in the kingdom. You're not doing what Christ said. You're not doing what the early church was doing. I'm not talking about this helping out some drug addict on the street who needs uh, you know, he missed a meal because he used all his money on drugs. I'm talking about social welfare for your church, for your congregation. No other benefactor but Christ. You're not there yet. Those of you who don't need a benefactor, you may think you're there <laughs> when you need one. Why would anybody help you? You haven't even been friends with the unrighteous mammon. Why should we help you now? Years went by where you worked and earned money and you gave nothing. You shared nothing. You helped out here and there when you found somebody who needed a flat tire. But you didn't, you didn't have strange wives because you didn't learn a part of that system. But you didn't. You were not the bride of Christ either. You didn't come together and help one another, take care of one another. Well, I, I help people uh, when I happen to stumble across them, but that isn't the good shepherd. The good shepherd doesn't take care of the sheep if he happens to stumble across them in the field. The good shepherd is a good shepherd and goes out and looks for all the sheep. I just put up a web page under uh, in his holy church uh, dealing with the lost sheep I was out on the desert uh, checking 
some irrigation preparing to hay a field. And I discovered about six lambs all by themselves out there in the bush. And they were very startled to see me. They all jumped up, looked back at me, and I pulled out my cell phone and took a picture. Well, now I, I knew they had gotten lost. They would gotten separated from the rest of the sheep. And the rest of the sheep were a long, long ways away. And so I had to move them. And, you know, of course, they're wild, and, they're, you know, they're not going to, you know, I can't say just go left, go right. I don't have a rope on them. I didn't tie them together. But they stayed together, and we slowly moved along across the desert, over hills, down in gullies, until we came around and they could see the sheep. And then they, they went and joined them. And they stayed together. They were gregarious. The kingdom of heaven is a gregarious place. They're not bound together. We don't tie the sheep together. I saw somebody herding goats once down the road. They simply tied every single goat together. <laughs> and they were moving them down the road. The road. And they stayed together. But you, you might have to do that with some goat. But with a sheep, rain sheep, sheep that are used to living outside of fences, they stay together. You don't know how to do that yet. So anyway, we were talking about a congregation earlier, and I gave this example of, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend. They're not husband and wife simply because they love each other. They have to actually make a commitment to that characteristic of being a husband and the characteristics of being a wife. And they do this before witnesses because you need two or more witnesses to establish. And they actually have an exchange of something of value to seal the deal. But, of course, the deal is not really sealed until you consummate the act of marriage and become that one flesh for the purposes. Because, again, the only corporate entity that Christ uh, that God created originally before the sin of man was husband and wife. No more twain, but one. Two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority, God, as if they were one person, exactly the way Christ describes it. But there's another corporation, and that's the church. And the church is not the congregation. And this is a hard thing for most Protestant people to to accept. And, you know, some, uh, some religious groups can accept it very easily. They still don't understand it because it's not a system like almost any church you see today. But it's what the early church was doing. And we've gone so far away, I can't hardly find an example. I can find elements of the early church in many churches. And I can also find what we call kingdom tracks in the hearts of many people. But the church was an institution of Christ. Just as the Levites were an institution of Moses, a corporate unit who owned all things in common. That's what the Levites owned all things in common because they owned nothing individually. Everything they held, they 
held in trust for God. It belonged to God because they belonged to God. They were the bond servants of God. But they were a corporate entity, and being a corporate entity, they had standing in the law of nation, and no nation could charge them taxes. And you'll find that still in the law all over the world, if you form your church correctly. And I'm not talking about exempt by permission, but I'm saying separate, holy. So let's look at this idea of consummating something as you do with the golden ring and, and the testimony before witnesses. If two different people agree that a third person is a minister of Christ, and they do this publicly by bearing witness to it, and they freely give to that minister something of value to consummate this recognition, For the purposes of Christ, you have created what we call a sacred purpose trust. Now, in the law, that would not be categorized as a trust because it's sacred. Sacred meaning separate, holy. It's outside that realm that we read about in Ezra of customs and duties and taxes. It is in the sacred realm. And it's amazing if you if you actually under once you begin to understand the precepts and you read the laws, how they recognize this in the laws better than most of the people that go to church. But you have now created the sacred purpose trust and where does it reside? It resides in the minister that you gave the object to, the burnt offering to. A trust is considered in the law as an entity. It's something that actually exists. It's an entity. It's a person. But it, if it's not really doing what Christ said, it doesn't matter that you're recognized as a person in law as far as Christ is concerned because God is no respecter of person. So just because you created the institution doesn't make it so. You still need to be, just like I said with husband and wife. The gold ring and the contract, uh, you know, the, the, and the emphasis is really not on contract, but the, the marriage contract is not sufficient. You need to be. So the assembly in a common action, but let go of what they gave entirely. Okay, so they assembled. The congregation assembled in a common action. They may not even been standing in the same place, but they both gave something to this minister. Two men, three men, five men, ten men gave something to this minister. But they gave it up entirely. That's something, again, that many churches have a hard time to do. They give it to the church and run around and join the board and then tell everybody how to, they can use it. No, you give it to the minister, and he decides. And if he doesn't decide, well, stop giving to him. Simple as that. But when because you give it to him entirely, it remains sacred. But that minister eventually 
if he becomes what we call an ordained minister of Christ, he has to be separate too. And that's where a lot of preachers are going to fall back and they're going to say, oh, I don't want to be that kind of preacher. I want the benefits of the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Show me the men who are willing to give up those benefits and I'll show you men who are willing to accept Christ and become his minister. This is why the rich man, everybody didn't have to sell everything they had give to the poor and follow Jesus. You could have followed Jesus and simply cared about others as much as you care about yourself. But if you wanted to be one of his ministers, his disciples were disciples to become ministers, students to become ministers. He had to give up everything, just like the Levites had to give up everything and own all things in common. So did they, the church. The congregation is to remain a free assembly, not corporate. But in order for the kingdom of God to have standing in the law of nation, any pure republic, in order to have standing, it must have a corporate body. They're represented in the law of nations, which is why they created the United States Constitution, to create a corporate body, congressmen, senators, presidents, speakers of the House, to represent the United States or represent the republic public because a republic a pure republic has no standing in the law of nation it's a free assembly it's a free government a pure republic not an indirect democracy a pure republic where you're free from things public and see in the assemblies of christ you're free from because you gave up your offering entirely you're not a free association you're a free assembly you gave it up it's not going to affect your freedom and your right to choose. Next time, if you don't choose not to give, you don't have to give. All other governments don't operate that way. You start giving, next time they need, you have to give. You volunteered into the system. You gave some of your rights, your potestas, your imperium, into that system. And now you're bound. This is the strange wives. You're making agreements. You see, everybody who has a marriage license by the state has a strange wife, the state, because you have an agreement between you, your spouse, and the state, a three-party agreement. And the state makes a strange wife, and it can bear children, because as a member, you can create other corporations and other institutions. You see, you're, the only corporation you should be entering into is the corporation of husband and wife, which we call family. We don't call it corporate because corporation, the term corporation has become commercial. But corpus, a body, two or more people gather together. Now, I've repeated this several times because it's really hard for people, and it's all connected. It's all connected. So in the church, when you create and establish a congregation, the congregation is not really established as a corporate entity. It has no persona. It is not an entity. It's a free assembly. Very important distinction. But it has created an entity which we call the church, or at least the beginnings of that entity, by 
establishing that this person is a minister. Now that minister, just like in the days of the Levites, needs to gather together with other ministers. Because they have to become a body. But do you want 5,000 ministers in one body? How do they remain individually free in the manner in which they serve? And really, we'll be getting off the subject, but the fact is, is they form congregations of ministers, which we call orders, just to distinguish them from a regular congregation, because an order does have a slightly corporate nature, very unique, just like the apostles. You know, they didn't have anybody ruling over them. They were not to exercise authority one over the other, so they... That's completely the reverse of what you see out there in the world government. But we'll tie more of this together when we return to Kings of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. 559-781-3773. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Because you love the truth, LibertyRadioLive.com. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We were talking about this idea of congregations being a free assembly that uh, the institution of God is family, and it is only that family uh, where you pool rights within the family because you pool responsibilities within the family. 
husband having certain responsibilities and wife having certain responsibilities. And together they operate as one person. But in a congregation, you do not operate as one person. But in order to have standing and recognition, you create what we call a sacred purpose trust or the church or a church auxiliary. And that is vesting authority in the hands of an individual. And that individual may gather together with others, but at first it's just choosing a minister. That is your best choice for a representative of Christ. Now, you don't give him authority over you. You give him authority over stuff. And you don't give him authority over your stuff. You give up your stuff so that he has total authority over that thing. If you still have 30% authority over the thing that you gave him, you haven't given it up entirely. If you can give him something and say, well, here's here's $20, but you can only use it for widows and orphans. No, you can't do that. Because you haven't given it up entirely. You still are maintaining control over it. You can say, here, this is for the widows and orphans. Use it as you see fit. Now, people say, well, I, you know, I don't want to give him that kind. Well, don't give him anything. If you don't trust him, don't give it to him. If you trust him, give it to him. If you, you're not sure you can trust him, don't give him a lot. Give him a little and see what he does with it. And slowly build up that trust. But it has to be given up entirely. Now, when we read in Titus 1.5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city I had appointed thee. Now we have words order, ordained, appointed. What what are these words in, in, in the Greek? Because there are several words they translate appoint, several words they translate order, ordained. Uh, so if we look at these words and we see order, uh, first, should set in order. Uh, that is a word, uh, uh which is composed of a uh, preposition, epi, and another word which means to set in order, to set in order beside or further. Uh, it shows up in a few other places, but it's it's not like the New World Order. It actually means to further something, to continue it. It doesn't mean to exercise authority and establish something uh, by your own authority. But if we go on and read wanting, the things that are wanting, you know, help with the things that are wanting, further the, and provide and facilitate the things that are wanting, and ordain elders, it says. Well, this word ordained elders is translated make, make ruler, ordain, be, appoint, conduct, set. What does it mean, though, in definition? Set, to set, to place, to appoint one, to administer an office, to set down as constitute, to declare, show, to be. Elder is not the office he was setting. He was setting elders in office, 
In other words, again, now if we if we read on uh, as I have appointed you uh, or appointed thee, uh, we see a detasso is the word there, uh, which comes from the word tasso to arrange. And uh, it is translated command about seven times and appoint about four times. But really uh, it has to do to arrange. Uh, this is what I told you. How do I told you to arrange it? And what they were doing was they were doing, they had to do these congregations of record and ministers of record because this was their total government. This was their national government. This is where they went to if they needed uh, a coat, and they had none. But it's also where they went when the widows were starving. It's also where they went when they were expelled from one nation or had to flee an army to another place, like in the fall of Jerusalem. All kinds of Christians fled just before the destruction of Jerusalem. They talk about it in Josephus, where they open the doors and let people out. They had to leave everything behind, but they could go. And they went. There was nothing. Went out, and the Romans let them through their lines, and where did they go? Well, they had a network all over Europe, a Christian network that could receive them. And that's what you need is to have that Christian network if you're in an area where a hurricane comes or earthquake comes or a famine comes, where are you going to go? Or a nuclear power plant melts down, where are you going to go? You need a network of people who care about you as much as you care about yourself. That's a Christian network. Not somebody who's playing church, but someone who is church. Church is not where you go. It's who you are. And I'm using the word church as this general sense, including the congregation, the followers of Christ, the Christians. And this is this is what he was doing, was setting up this network, furthering this network. People would look out amongst themselves, pick men they could, appoint them and say, okay, you are picked by these people. And then you would get together with other ministers like yourself, and we, well, you were picked by these, and you were picked by these, and you were picked. Now they're all tied together, but not with contractual bonds, but with relationships of trust and charity and faith and hope this is the kingdom of God it's composed of people who are actually coming together to provide for their welfare through faith open charity not those who would not provide for the faith open uh, the welfare of their society and went off and refused to pay taxes and were not friends with the unrighteous mammon but those who were actually seeking to be of service to one another. We just had a discussion here with a couple of the brothers the other day about services, church services. Where's the service? I hear the singing. I hear the preaching. Where's the service? It, they think that being of service is to make you feel good. Just like men who think to help me to somebody who does the dishes, cleans the house, and makes them feel good. That's not why a woman was created, to make you feel good, to clean up, 
Now, she might do those things just like you go out and go to work and bring home the bacon or, you know, whatever it is that you eat <laughs> if you don't eat bacon. But this this complementary relationship of man and woman, somebody asked me to talk about this, and I, I neglected it. I should have been in the earlier part of the show. But they said, well, you know, she starts seeing these kingdom things, but her husband still wants to go to the Church of Christ. She said, what do I do? Well, go. What's the problem? You know, it's just a building. Just go into the building. Sit down. Be friendly. Be kind. Be generous. We are to be vessels of the Holy Spirit. If you go into the Church of Christ, you may be the only one bringing the Holy Spirit into that room. <laughs> and if you, the more the Holy Spirit dwells in you, if the Holy Spirit does not dwell in the other people there, they will cast you out eventually. But what's the problem? Your husband wants to go there, go there. He doesn't want to see the kingdom, have patience. God has had patience with you, have patience with your husband. We really don't know what it means to be husband and wife anymore. Because we don't know what it means to be Christians, followers of Christ. We're going to end up talking about, and I, I can't imagine that we'll get to all of it in this show, because we're way behind in my notes here. Um, but if I were to uh, read to you from Ezekiel 18, I was only going to quote one little verse in this, but then I... I, I always look at the ones before and the ones after, and I just kept going back, and I really got back to 18.1. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, said the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. As he lives, as he lives where? In you. Where is Israel? The place where God prevails. You would have no occasion to use this phrase anymore. What is it? What is the sour grape? It's an unripe grape. That's another way of saying a, a grape that's not yet become sweet, not yet you know, you eat it before it's time. This is what you do all the time. You buy stuff on time. That's eating sour grapes. Going into debt. Taking your Sabbath before you've worked your six days. Same precept. Over and over again, and we see this precept. Behold, all souls are mine as the soul of the Father. So also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it, it shall die. It's not the soul that believes is saved, but the soul who doesn't sin. But the soul that really believes doesn't sin. They're made perfect in their faith. But the soul that fakes his belief or believes in a false Christ, he will die. He will not be able to keep the commandments because the Holy Spirit does not dwell in him. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right 
have to be just and do that which is law. If he was just, then wouldn't he always do what's lawful and right? If you had faith, wouldn't you do what was lawful and right? Because that's what you would want to do. But if you don't have faith, it will be a strain. And has not eaten upon the mountains, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither has defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has he come near the menstruous woman. There's there's something that is terribly misunderstood in the Bible to understand what they're talking about. This this word menstruous. Nida. It actually is translated separation, put apart. They also translate uh, filthiness a couple of times, flower a couple of times, far once, set apart once, menstruous once, removed once, unclean once, un, uh, unclean thing, uncleanness, menstruous woman once each, removed woman once. What does it actually mean? What's its actual definition? Wander. A wandering woman. Is that what they're talking about? Come near the wandering woman. Come near, again, if the word woman in adultery is most often referring to national adultery in the Bible, is that what they're talking about? Where you come near this false way, this false government? And hath not oppressed any, but hath restored the debtor his pledge. Not oppressed any. Do you take any benefit from benefactors who exercise authority? Well, then you've oppressed. Figure it out. You don't have a right to it because you paid in. You have a privilege of taking it if you paid in. But if the one who is providing that privilege exercises authority and forces the contribution of the people, he is making the word of God to none effect, and you have oppressed. Have you restored the debtor his pledge? In other words, okay, I paid in. I still don't want the benefit. Now you've restored the debtor his pledge. You didn't take of it. You did not eat of that table. Has spoiled none by violence. No, you didn't. Do, you weren't violent. You didn't arrest somebody, put them in jail, fine them. You just took the benefit of those that did. You still incur the sin. It isn't not paying taxes that makes you separate. Stop thinking that. Pay the dang tax. It's not taking the benefit. And if you're not going to take the benefit, now you want to enter the kingdom. Start being the benefit. Start giving those free will offerings. Start forming those congregations of record. They were needed in the old days, because the disaster was gigantic. It will be gigantic again. Has given his bread to the hungry. Do you do you contribute? That's what they're saying here. It's not enough that you did not oppress. 
that you do not take the benefit. It's not enough that you have restored the debtor his pledge. In other words, not demanded that he pay beyond his means. It's not enough that you uh, spoiled none by violence. But the verse 7 goes on to say, hath given his bread to the hunger and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man. Is that you? How can you do that without congregating in, in free assemblies? Hath walked in my statutes, hath kept my judgment, deal truly, he is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. People are so self-righteous about being separate and not paying into the system. But are they paying into God's system? If he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and hath, and and that death the like to any one of these things. Any one of these things. And that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountain and defiled his neighbor's wife. Eaten upon the mountain. Mountains are people. Are you eating upon the mountain? That where they pile people up and force people to become the foundation and provide. In that process, you defile your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's relationship. Hath oppressed the poor, needy hath spoiled by violence. Hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abominations. Most, most churches today are full of idolatry because they have created false Christs and have you worshiping those false Christs and doing and spoiling your neighbor with violence and oppressing the poor and the needy and the stranger in their midst those people who don't want to be a part of their system. They still oppress them. They still force them to contribute. And if you take the benefit, you are a part of the sin. And how can you get away from taking the benefit if you do not come together and form a nation based on faith, hope, and charity? Hath given forth upon usury and hath taken increase shall he then live. He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. Your whole nation is offering these benefits by borrowing on usury. You cannot take a benefit without being part of the usury. It is a use tax that provides most of the benefits. And then in debt, you should be in debt. This is the blood you should be suffering. Now, lo, if he beget a son and seeth all his father's sins which he hath done and considereth and do, doeth not such like, 
He has not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath he lifted up his eyes to idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath he oppressed any, hath not withheld a pledge, uh, neither hath he spoiled by violence, but hath given his bread to the hungry, hath covered his nakedness with garments. In other words, have you been contributing regularly? You know, not like they do where they contribute at Thanksgiving and Christmas and let the people starve the rest of the year. That hath taken off his hand from the poor and hath not received usury, not received the benefits of that usury, nor increase, hath executed my judgment, hath walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. Then... You will not suffer the fact that your fathers have eaten sour grapes because your fathers have. They've gone into bondage. They've returned to the bondage of Egypt. But you can't just flee Egypt. You have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As for his fathers, as for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brothers by violence and did that which is not good amongst people, Lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. You have to change. You have to repent. You have to turn around and operate in a different way. Yet say ye, why does not the son bear the iniquity of the father when the son has done that which is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and has done them? He shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall he, uh, shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteous of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So now you need to choose. Are you going to form a congregation of record to benefit those far from you? To become the benefactors who don't exercise authority but free the bondservants of the world. Return the pledges. Wait upon the Lord. Take care of one another. Do faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. How can you expect to be at liberty unless you set others free? How can you expect to be at liberty if you do not Give up your life so that you may have life more abundant. And hope that your bread that you cast upon the waters, the offerings you make completely will come back to you someday. That is living by faith. That is believing in Christ. But the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live and shall not die. So all you have to do is repent and seek ye first the kingdom of God. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him in his righteousness. And that he hath done, he shall live. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. With the Lord God, repent and turn yourself from all your transgressions. 
so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed, and make ye a new heart and a new spirit, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Now that's the thing is, I talked in the beginning in blog talk about the fact that if you were invaded by a particular disease, and there's been a lot of experiments where they show how you can actually send the frequency of a disease into healthy flesh, not the disease itself, just the same frequency, and the flesh will begin to react as if it had that disease. Okay, you have an infestation of a parasite like spirochetes, and it's in you, and your body is trying to fight it, but it's making an impression, a shadow of itself, in a record of itself in the very cells of your body. Now you kill out the spirochetes with antibiotics, and you still remain sick. What's going on? Your body is still reacting to the presence of the image of the beast that was infesting you. Okay, now I just used a metaphor there. Image of the beast. There was the beast and the image of the beast. What's the difference between the beast and the image of the beast? The beast was Rome, the Roman Empire, which was just a reflection of the Babylonic Empire before it and others that have gone much that same route. What Rome became, not the original republic, but the empire of Rome. But the image of the beast could do one thing that the beast could not do. It could make fire come down from heaven in the sight of man. If the beast was Caesar, Caesar was the commander-in-chief of the army and the navy, then the beast today is in charge of the army and the navy and the air force and therefore can, can make fire come down from heaven in the sight of man. You see the parallel and the metaphor? But what is the beast? It is you. You are the beast. You empower the beast. You have the shadow of the beast in your own heart. Two reasons. One is you're willing to oppress your neighbor, force him to contribute to your welfare. Not forgive the debt. You're willing to send men out to beat the debtor and force the debtor to contribute to your welfare. And you say that's okay because you take the benefit. But the other thing is you don't become the benefit of God. You don't become the benefactor who does not exercise authority. You do not contribute to the welfare, the goodly welfare, the strengthening welfare of your neighbor. And so therefore you still carry the shadow of the beast in you. To, to overrule the shadow of the beast in you, the disease that has gotten into you, the Egypt that has gotten in you, you have to wander like the Israelites for 40 years and learn what it means to be the benefactors of God, to be the kingdom of God. It is great to have the kingdom tracks where you are teaching your children at home but if you do not gather together to help others do the same, to give up your time so that others may, you know, 
what about a, a, a widow or a divorcee who has four kids? How many times have I heard of that where someone was trying to teach their kids at home and then the, the husband and wife broke up and then she had to put the kids in school because she had to go to work and she had nobody to take care of the kids? If you were in congregations, that would not have to happen. So many things could be solved by being in congregations of people who care about their neighbor and their neighboring congregations as much as they care about themselves. If you do not become that, the beast will remain in you and the disease will remain in you. You have to do both, as it says here in Ezekiel. You have to not take the benefit and become the benefit of God. Not to take the benefit of the small g God and become the benefit of God. And we'll be back in a minute to tell you more about how you can do that. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you. Do all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is 
the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We only have a half hour, and as usual, our custom will be to have somebody call in with a great question about two minutes before the end of the show. So let's see if we can break tradition. <laughs> if you have a question and you want to call in and ask uh, that question, we have a number you can call in, uh, which is 559-726-1300. And you'll need a code to get into the, the call-in, which is 795-132 and then star 6. And I'll give you that in a minute. So get your paper together and pencils so you can write it down. And I'll say it slower the next time. Yeah, there's also a chat room. that You can get into the chat room here on Liberty Live and type out a question. If you do, put a bunch of question marks by it. Somebody will try to monitor that and pass that question on to me. So if you've gotten your pencil, and I'll give you that number one more time, and then you should get on the Living Network. Join a Living Network in your area. That's the first step towards forming those congregations of record that you're going to need in the days ahead. You've really needed them all along, uh, but you're really going to need them in the days ahead. Uh, and then you would have already got these telephone numbers and notices in the in emails, and you could be have them by your phone on speed dial. Uh, but anyway, that number to call is five five nine. That's five hundred and fifty nine seven two six. One three zero zero seven two six one three zero zero, and then you have to have this code number seven nine five seven nine five one three two. So it's seven nine five one three two, and then you push star six, and you should be connected, and we'll get you question answered hopefully. So, uh, or like I said, you can ask in the chat room. What we're going to talk about. Uh, in continuation of this is Isaiah 3:10 through verse 12. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. In other words, as you judge, so shall you be judged. If you think it's okay to take from your neighbor, you shall be taken from. If it's okay to to uh, covet your neighbor's goods, then it's okay that your neighbor covet your goods and force you to contribute to his welfare. And you've got a lot more neighbors than you, so you're going to be contributing and contributing and contributing because the selfish outnumber the righteous. But if you be filled with righteousness and you're doing righteousness, uh, then you shall eat the fruit of your doing, and you shall be rewarded. And that means you, if you are giving up for righteousness' sake, you shall be 
blessed. If you haven't sought righteousness, you'll be giving up anyway, but you won't be blessed. You'll be blessed by giving me a chance to give up and 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 take. And they'll take and take and take. As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err and destroy the ways of thy path. And that's where we come. I mean, your preachers are women. Most of the preachers I see, they're not real men. They're more like women, seducers, ear ticklers, soothers of conscience. They, they cater to you. They aren't going to tell you the truth. They're not going to give you the hard messages of Christ. They're in the business of filling up their churches. Christ could clear a room in no time flat just by speaking the truth. And the truth is we've strayed from the ways of God, and we need to return to those ways. And when we started talking about, you know, men, women, and authority, yes, man was given orders by God to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and I could go to several quotes and show you that, you know, the woman was deceived. So she had part in the sin. There's no two ways about that. But the man was not deceived, but chose to do evil, to do wrong. So whose is the greatest sin? I mean, when the Bible, they talk about the sin of Adam, they, they say the sin of one man, death came into the world. They didn't say the sin of woman, death came into the world. She was deceived. He was not. Who is the greater sin? The greater responsibility. But yet, God created the woman to be a helpmate. For some reason, she is there. And it, it would take more than two hours to explain all that. We're not going to get it covered in in one minute but we'll take a look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which is something everybody's just to show you we're constantly showing you how people can be deceived by words slight twists and translations not necessarily incorrect all the time but could be misleading because we've already shown you how you know the word that they translate from uh, in one place is actually translated since in another and it's not completely wrong or the word uh, present uh, take it by violence and force. How it's the same word, but they translate it different over here. So you you get you do that with several words in the sentence, and you can lead people to think a certain way. And then you preach to them that it means this, and then that becomes the pattern of your thinking, and it's hard to change from that. You have to repent. Not to be sore, but then you have to go out and do the will of the Father in order to overcome the shadow of that wicked lie. Otherwise, you will return to the lie. Over and over again, I have explained to uh, one particular local person certain things are not said in the Bible. We go and we look and we find out that they're not. And two, three weeks later, she's preaching them like they are again. And I remind her, we already went over this. And you agreed that they weren't. And now you're back to saying that they are again. She keeps returning back to that because she hasn't really changed. And, you know, people talk about you have to learn something two, three times when it's something new to overcome that. But we have learned to live in Egypt. 
to be in Egypt, to be a part of Egypt. And some people resent the the lash of Egypt, the burdens of Egypt, and so they tried to throw it off. But if you do not put on the character of Christ, it's not going to be any good. You'll just be imposing your will on others, saying, oh, you have to say it this way, you have to use this word, you have to believe this way. You will become a real pharaoh, a real dictator, or you'll shun them if they don't do it your way. But I'm looking at Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourself, for they watch for your souls, and they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is profitable for you. So this word obey, you know, if you if you look that word up in in the Bible, you just go get your concordance, or you go get like online Bible, uh, or one of these softwares, and, and look that up. You would be surprised about the words that they're using there, and it's not what you think. Obey is the word pitho. It's how many times is it translated obey? Well, seven times, but it appears over 50 times in the Bible. Most of the time, it's translated persuade. Even more times, it's translated trust. Have confidence in. That's not the same as obey. There's another word for obey. If you look up the word obey, you'll find uh, that you that there's actually a couple of different words that could be in the uh, context if you if you look that up in uh, the New Testament but this particular word actually means by definition to persuade to induce by one's words to believe to make friends of to win one's favor that's what they mean by obey it isn't necessarily, uh, you know, if, if you if you look in other places, you'll see the word hupakuo, uh, which means obey in the sense of obedience, listen to, hearken to. But by putting the word obey there, they can they can be very deceptive. They can deceive you into thinking that they, somehow or other your pastors have rule over you, and that's not what it means. And if you go on and it, and you look at some of the other words, uh, submit oneself, submit yourself. Uh, that's not the regular word for cement. As a matter of fact, that word appears only once in the whole Bible. Uh, the Greek word actually means don't resist, don't give them a hard time. It, it doesn't mean that you have to go into subjection. It's simply not that kind of word. And like I said, it's only used once, but yet we see the word submit several times in the Bible, but it's not that word. Now, rule. The word is have the rule over you. Now, we think, oh, well, that's a ruler, but it's not archonite. That's not the word that is in the Greek. It's hagomai, which most of the time isn't translated rule. 
It's translated count. Have an account. They are to be accountable. Even a congregation of ten picks a minister, and that minister gathers together with nine other ministers like himself. Those ministers have to account for the people that pick them, like the contact ministers on our groups. They have to keep track of those people. If the buddy system fans in, is everybody accounted for? Yes, here and accounted for. It doesn't mean rule, as in subject, or exercise authority. Christ didn't create that kind of government. But he created a government where you have to, you're accountable. Do you know where all ten are? Oh, yes. They're here. I got them covered. That's his responsibility. He has taken that responsibility on freely. In order to exercise that responsibility, he needs the support of those people who have picked him. Now you have a government operating by free will offerings only. So you see that when we look at the, these quotes, you can see how easily it would be to mislead you. Now, I'm not saying you have to retranslate it, but understand in what context do they mean obey, submit, account, rule. Not in the, in the context that you're normally thinking. You're, but your brain, if I say rule, your brain jumps in a particular thought mode. If I say government, you think of the only government is one that exercises authority one over the other. But no, that is that is one form of government, and the church is another form of government. So how many of you are going to run out and join the network and try to form a congregation? Now, most of you will be far apart. Although the, the network is based on local areas, they're still far apart. Some of you are trying to form congregations, but people want to keep everything secret. Are you hiding your light under a bushel basket? Let's not do that. You know, we, we should be cautious about our private details, but the fact is, is you can't develop relationships with one another in the dark. That will be what they should be. You're going to end up like... Uh, uh, Leah... And Rachel, <laughs> the dark, married the wrong woman. Anyway, we wanted to talk about strange wives, and we did. And it has to do with these strange relationships. Not necessarily, you could get married two ways in ancient Israel. One is uh, under a canopy with witnesses and uh, ceremony and vows, or you could just set up housekeeping together. But if you set up housekeeping together and held yourself out to be husband and wife, what we often call common law marriage, not always all common law marriages, when you use that term, it doesn't necessarily refer to what I'm talking about. But you had to do it in the open. You couldn't do it in secret. And so it's the same way with becoming the bride of Christ. You have to do it in the open. You have to. You can't do it in secret. You can use a certain amount of discretion, but you can, you have to actually make a record, establish it with witnesses, and that's what we're doing. Now we have several congregations of record now that are starting to function. We need hundreds. We need thousands. And every time you help form one of those congregations of record, every congregation 
is enriched by your presence. But it's up to you. Freedom is not free. Liberty under God is not free. It requires you to move in a certain direction. And that direction is not simply away from Babylon, but towards the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom. So, I've actually got lots more notes here, but I was curious as if any questions were going to be showing up. Uh, we've had several calls here, but I didn't answer them because I'm on the phone. <laughs> Doesn't it figure? Say again? Doesn't it figure that you get calls there during the show? Yeah, I've, uh, actually, several times I've had calls during the show from my daughters, and uh, the the actually last night when they left here about ten o'clock, they said uh, I have to make a mental note not to call you during the show because <laughs> 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 she's been notorious for doing that. But um, you know, I was going to get into more about this idea of women in authority, uh, and I was trying to think of some of the quotes that. Uh, are normal that they use, you know, like, a, but a woman is to keep quiet. And there's several different words that uh, are silent they use. Uh, there's several different words that they use uh, in the Bible that are translated silent. And one of them kind of means shut up, but that's not that word. Uh, and it has to do, you know, that where they're talking about uh, uh, women keeping silent. They're not talking about having her shut up, and they're not necessarily talking about her not having authority, but they're talking about her not usurping authority. And uh, that's that's really a, a kind of uh, uh, quote that really needs to be explored a little bit better. And most of the men who keep bringing it up are rather insecure around women, uh, you know, a man who really is a man is not affected by the fact that a strong woman comes into the room. <laughs> you, it's the same as, you know, like I tell people who want to spank their children all the time and think that's really important, I, and I would never recommend that a parent waive their right to spank their child. But if your children will only obey because a fear of spanking, you have created a child that will be a fit subject for the first tyrant that comes along because they're used to, they have learned to submit to physical violence to do what they are told. And that isn't really a kingdom track to lay down. The fact is is that your children should do what is right because of a love of what is right. And how do you teach that except by the ways of Christ? And I never saw Jesus spank a single one of the apostles <laughs> but uh, again I'm I'm never waive your right to spank your children <laughs> you may need that someday but every time you have to spank your children it's usually because you've been laying down on the job somewhere else <laughs> but uh, I don't think one of the other quotes for, for this woman thing was about being singers oh Okay, yeah. Yeah, the singers, that was the, we talk about that in Thy Kingdom Come, as the singers in the Bible were actually like uh, heralds. If each of us are princes, kings in the kingdom, then 
when do, do when do we make our royal proclamations? See, see now our royal proclamations are not uh, everybody has to obey me, but it is a testimony of what I am, what I believe, and what I'm going to do. So uh, they had singers that would go around and they would deliver what this congregation is thinking over to this congregation. We had a recent the series of emails on a PCM group about long-distance congregations. And I pointed out that they're I, and very late at night, and I didn't word it quite as well as I should have, although I saw a number of PCMs pass it on, uh, including the typos, uh, is that uh, there's always long-distance congregations in the kingdom because if ten families pick a minister and then he gets together with nine other ministers and then they pick a minister... Well, when you get up to that level, that minister is probably not going to live next door to the other ministers that he gathers with. And so they're going to be a long-distance congregation. And they were that in the days where there wasn't telephone and emails and all that. But still, they were a long-distance congregation of ministers. Uh, But the first thing any congregation would want to do is to help find the lost sheep at this stage, to gather the other bones that uh and breathe life into them so that in itself should be one of the major occupations of anybody who wants to form a congregation is to help others at greater distances form congregations because with each one they all become richer Um, but uh, the singers was a way in which to communicate it was ma bell uh, they would travel about just like the traveling minstrels of Europe and pass information on to keep everybody, you know, what, to keep everybody in harmony. You know, uh, the congregation over here has been thinking this and the congregation over here has been thinking this and they dealt with this this way. And they do this often in stories. And some of those stories would be, I mean, like Beowulf, you know, story of courage and uh, camaraderie and uh, fighting an evil foe, uh, except for these are actually real stories, although they may be melodramized and maybe uh, twisted a little bit but um, and added to. But the reality is that's what the singers were. And so, uh, you know, we always have the old uh, joke of, telegraph, telephone, and tell a woman. Uh, the fact is, is women are very good at getting information around. <laughs> so that's what the singers were all about, is to help keep that harmony. And uh, and women are very good at that. And uh, men are very often very poor at that. You know, they're out there doing the deed, and uh, they don't, they, you know, that's one of the things I noticed on the PCM group. If you actually look at that, who who are some of the people that are best at passing information on? It's the women. <laughs> and who often neglects that is men because men are out doing and they they forget the PCMs. They a lot of them forget about the fact that they have these great discussions on that group of personal contact ministers. For those of people who don't know, these are these are the people that are actually helping facilitate the network. Pick by individuals. You pick one, and then he's your personal contact minister. When he becomes a personal contact minister for more than one guy, uh, then uh, he gets on the group, and he's supposed to help keep you in contact with others and help 
gather more and more people together to form those congregations of record. But anyway, they don't realize that in some of those great discussions that if you don't tell the people back on your Texas group or your your uh, New York group what has been discussed, as far as they're concerned, it didn't happen. If you don't tell them the good news, it didn't happen. And so people have to try to make a habit out of passing that along. And uh, and some contact ministers do, and some absolutely never do. <laughs> and they will not be with us forever. <laughs> but uh, that's what the singers were. And, uh, uh, again, you know, people, when you put church in the context of everybody going to this big building and sitting down and listening to a sermon for an hour and a half and then singing a few songs, and they think, oh, that was church service, well, then you're going to get these goofy ideas that a woman can only sing in church and she can't speak in church because they're all they're about is speaking. They're not about doing and being of service. And we have to turn that around and start being of service. And women can be of great service. Mostly pointing out the errors of men, which they need a lot of. But anyway, we're at the end of the show. (laughs) Thanks, Paul, for being there. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you see this afternoon on Freedomizer or next week. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.